As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to the Total Soccer Show. My name is Taylor Rockwell, and on today's episode, we're going to be answering your listener questions about alternate realities, yo-yo slash ping-pong clubs, and Quidditch, obviously. Uh, those are just a few of the questions we'll get to. To help me do that is the Baron Lord himself. It's Adam Snavely. Hello, Adam. Taylor, did you invite me on this podcast just because my name sounds like it came out of Harry Potter? A little bit. I mean, that's part of it for sure. To be ah, honest, this I'm sounds so, so tired of being typecast. <laughs> this sounds so bad, and I apologize in advance. I sometimes look for you in my phone as Adam Snaves, forgetting that you are Snavely because of your, your Twitter handle. But I should just put you in as the Baron Lord Snavington, and then it wouldn't be an issue. That is true. Uh, I, I definitely think that that will clear up a little <laughs> bit of confusion if you refer to me by my full and proper title. I shall. But all that to say, it's a pleasure to be on again. <laughs> Hello, Taylor. How are you doing? I'm doing well, man. I'm doing well. Man United have hey. hired a technical director, director of football, I think. I'm not sure what to make of that one. Uh, my, that is what my phone is currently exploding with at time of recording. But instead of doing that and talking about that, we're going to talk about some random questions, uh, as I alluded to earlier. In fact, let's get to the first one right now. It comes from Ira Jersey. He asked this a while ago, and I will own the fact that he asked uh, me and Joe to answer this one. I reached out to Joe. Joe has neither seen nor read the Harry Potter books. I asked Ryan. <laughs> Ryan has neither seen nor read the Harry Potter books, <laughs> which blew my mind, and I don't fully believe either of them, but I then thought, all right, well, who would be the person who I can assume has and will have thoughts on it? And that's when I messaged you, Mr. Snavely. Uh, so I, this question, I don't know how to feel. <laughs> I do not know how to feel about that. But yes, I have you should feel good because those books I am are a, great. I am a seasoned millennial. I have <laughs> done this. I think that was was that your response when I asked you was, oh, we're going full millennial. I see. Yeah, that was exactly what I what I texted you. 
<laughs> perfect. Perfect. All right. This question from Ira Jersey. I would like you each to draft one men's and one women's Quidditch team, uh, one keeper, three chasers, two beaters, and a seeker using only U.S. men's national team and U.S. women's national team eligible players. Weston McKinney must be the first pick. So those are our stipulations. Those are our rules. Uh, as we go through, I will uh, try to give my abbreviated summary of what each position stands for if you, like me, <laughs> Knew that Quidditch was a thing, knew that Harry Potter chases the golden thing, and didn't know anything else aside from that. Adam, your familiarity with Quidditch? Have you played? Do you know? What's going on there? I have not played. However, um, in addition to reading the Harry Potter books and seeing the movies, uh, like I said, as an established millennial, uh, I paid my dues. Um, I also, (laughs) at one point, had a Harry Potter Quidditch World Cup video game for the PlayStation 2, Wow, which was a lot of fun actually i really enjoyed it there was like a special bar you built up and all of a sudden you could get different special ultimate scoring moves for different teams australia was easily the coolest team to play for i'm kind of into this now i I like the idea of a video game for a sport that is completely fictional or like could not not, i guess not completely fictional anymore Uh, i i found the rules to quidditch from the nc state website so there we go uh but in terms of flying around can't do that quite as much no, and it doesn't make make uh, it doesn't make me very surprised that you found it from NC State because they're desperately looking for sports that they could be good at. I would imagine, <laughs> but yeah, the Harry Potter video game I think was much better than the real life Quidditch equivalent, but it nonetheless exists. Which, All right, you know, make of that what you will. Uh, Adam, uh, do you want to do this team by team? Do you want to go position by position? Should we do like uh, the men's and women's seekers, or should we do the men's team, the women's team, or in whatever order? I kind of like going position by position okay. uh, and going and doing kind of like your equivalents for like what you're viewing with the men and what you're viewing with the women All right. uh, in like terms it. of people and personnel. All right. Let's start with the the big one then, the obvious one, the Harry Potter position. Uh, <laughs> the Seeker, uh, they catch the golden snitch before the other team's Seeker does that. Uh, you got to be cool under pressure. You've got to like the spotlight. You've got to notice small details. You've got to follow your instincts. Adam, which players represent that? Knowing that the, the caveat was that we had to pick Weston McKinney as the first pick, I guess this was maybe supposed to be a competitive draft as well. So you mm. asked me this before. Do we mm. want to make it this, this be the case that, uh, like, should should we, if you pick a player, does that player no longer exist for me? I I have my full teams. Mm-hmm. Um, we could do it that way if we wanted to put ourselves on the spot. Oh, it, boy. You know, I am not the owner of the podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, I am a, I'm a guest on the podcast. So I will leave it up to you. I, I'm, I'm fine either way. Oh, I can, boy. I can go. All right, I think I think we're gonna do a draft. I think we're gonna Let's do, do it. we're gonna do a draft. Uh, I am gonna remove, unfortunately, for Ira, the stipulation that Weston McKinney must be the first pick, unless Correct. you have him as your seeker. But I do not, and I don't want to just shoehorn him into a position where I don't think he works that well. All right, all right, yeah, I I I, I agree with that. Um, I I think that that's sensible. All right, well then, why don't you pick uh your seeker for the men's or women's team, and then I will pick uh mine for the other. Ooh, with the first pick mm-hmm. in the soccer Quidditch draft. Uh, yeah, looking back at the history of some notable seekers in the Harry Potter franchise, Harry Potter himself, obviously, uh, but also Harry Potter ex-girlfriend Cho Chang, uh, some Cedric Diggory. There there are characters that are known. Um, of course, Draco Malfoy, who bought his way onto the <laughs> Slytherin team, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, yeah, when you gotta I look get it at in the there, seeker, though. You got to make yeah, it clear that he did. 
when I look at the seeker position, I, I see the need for speed, but also kind of instinctual awareness mm-hmm. uh, and just a really, really great positional awareness on the field. The ability to do a lot of different things well. And so my first selection is Crystal Dunn Ooh, as wow. seeker. For my women's Quidditch team. All right. So Crystal Dunn is off the board. Crystal Dunn off the board. I like that selection. Uh, I will then, I guess, so should I take my my men's seeker and then also draft my women's seeker as well here? Sure. We can we can do it like that. All right. So you've got Crystal Dunn. I will go Tyler Adams as my seeker. Okay. I think he's going to notice those details. He's going to be all over the place. Head on a swivel. I trust him to do that. And I will add Rose Lavelle on the women's side. Ah, excellent. Nice, nice, nice. Thank you, sir. And now comes the scrambling as we figure out who we have and who hasn't been chosen yet. All right. Indeed. Well, I would I would like to choose my men seeker yes. since we have uh, we we've done that. Um mm-hmm. I'm going to go with Timothy Weah. Ooh. Yeah, I, like I really I like really like his his positional awareness on the field and I think that translates to the seeker position. All right. All right. So we've each got so you've got Crystal Dunn and Timothy Weah. I've got yep. uh Rose Lavelle and Tyler Adams. Let's move to Chaser. Uh you throw the quaffle through one of the three goal hoops. Uh, you've got to de- be a team player that works together towards a common goal. You've got to read a situation quickly and be unafraid of a challenge. These are from the Wizarding World official <laughs> rules to Quidditch. Uh, that's what you're looking for in your players. Um, I guess, should, should you do... Why don't you do, you pick uh, one men's, one women, and then I'll kind of... We'll go back and forth from there. Sure thing. Um, I will, with my first chaser mm-hmm. selection... Uh, I'm going to go with Serginio Dest. Oh, you monster. A forward, sure, but somebody who is an absolute beast in the attack and somebody who I think can really get up and down the full length of the Quidditch pitch, uh, which I assume is what it's called, the Quitch. Sure. <laughs> um, and on the men's side, I'm I'm going to pick Kat Macario uh, because um, I – have a Brazilian mother, and I just want Kat Macario on my team, <laughs> and that's and that's all I really need to. I don't feel the need to explain it any further than that. I mean, I don't think you need to. All right, so you've got Tijinho Dest and Katarina Macario. Uh, I will take Weston McKinney here. I, I I trust him to to function as a unit within it within a team. It's not going to be all about him. He's happy to come off the bench for Juve, even if he's then getting megged and conceding fouls. But still, he's a team <laughs> player, and I will add. I'm going to add Sam Mewis to that mix as well. So Sam Mewis will be uh, my first selection for my chaser on the women's side. Uh, Sam Mewis was actually in the in the running for my my beaters, so now I have to reevaluate. Yeah. There's going to be a that. lot of uh, reevaluating on the fly re- and still yeah, time. Some <laughs> very sudden reevaluation in this episode of Total Zogger Show. It's almost okay. like I remembered on the fly that this was supposed to be a draft, even though you said that before we started recording, <laughs> or that we were only allowed to pick people eligible for the U- USA for the women's and men's side. Also that. <laughs> but I may have had Kelly Mbappe as my secret. <laughs> Um, okay, uh, mm-hmm. my second chaser selections uh, on the women's side of things. Yep. I'm going to pick Lynn Williams. Okay, uh, uh, because she good. Uh, <laughs> I, I, very I mean, impressed with Lynn Williams. Yeah. I, don't, I, don't, I don't. I don't know what else to tell you. And uh, I feel like you had to know this was coming. Christian Pulisic will be my other my other chaser selection. We're going to go with uh, old faithful, I guess, with the person who kind of first broke on the scene in this current crop of united states men's youngsters i don't like it i don't like it at all because you're you're taking away the people that that i wanted for my teams which means well, it's a good well, selection uh especially well, lynn should, williams maybe you should pick some other players then taylor fine i will i had lynn williams as my like my sleeper i didn't think we'd go there and you took her already i don't like it uh then i, I will williams. 
I will keep building my chaser squad. I will add uh, two Sam Mewis. I will add Kristen Press. Uh, nice. And, all right, I'm going to ask for a uh, judge's ruling, and that will be you, uh, Lord Baron. Uh-huh. Can I throw Eunice Musa in here still? Oh, yeah, you can totally okay. throw Eunice Musa in here. All right, then I'm throwing Eunice in Eunice Musa. Eunice last appeared for the United States, mm-hmm. and w- what do we have? We have a report that says yeah, yeah. Come on. England is confident that he will choose them. Yeah, which- from England. Come on. England said that before he appeared for the United States as well. So I, I, I don't I don't see the reason to throw Eunice Musa out completely yet. And I, and I also think there, there is a very likely possibility he listens to this episode. And if we don't let him be in the team, maybe that's the, the straw that breaks the camel's back. And he chooses England because he wasn't in the U.S. national Quidditch team. So Eunice Musa, if you're listening, you're still in my Quidditch squad. Uh, so I've added him to Weston McKinney. I have Christian Press and Sam Mewis. Uh, Adam, who are rounding out your chaser squad. Ooh, now we kind of uh-huh. delve into the territory where a couple of my picks have been chosen because I originally wanted Weston McKinney as a chaser and Kristen Press. So now I've got to kind of, uh, I don't know, I've got to kind of reevaluate somewhat. Um, I think for my third chaser on the women's side, we're going to value experience. Uh, we're going to value reliability and consistency. And we're going to pick Megan Rapino. Ooh, I like it. I like it a lot. So you've got Megan Rapino, you've got Katarina Macario and Lynn Williams on the are my chasers. The, yep, and then on the men's side, you've got one more selection there. I do have one more selection. I'm, <laughs> I'm gonna, I, I'm gonna. Uh, we we did talk about this earlier about how we, we're both uh, MLS shills that aren't getting paid, of course. So I'm gonna, uh, I'm gonna fall back on that a mm-hmm. little bit, and I'm gonna select Jordan Morris. Ooh, okay. As my third chaser. All right, and I don't think you need ACLs to play Quidditch. I'm pretty sure. If you're no, running around no. on the broom, I guess you're going to lean one way or the other, but that doesn't really require so much on the ACL, so I think he should be fine and good to go. I would hope at the very least that in this realm of uh, soccer player Quidditch things that he would be fine from an ACL tear after a night anyway uh, because they just use magic to heal it. So that that just makes sense to me. Man, all right. So I'm I'm now I am also now getting deep into my 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 picks here, and I'm gonna I could move around, but instead I'm just gonna I'm gonna go with the the injured, but I'm I'm assuming capable of of doing some uh, some chasing for me. I'm gonna add Tobin Heath to my team. Fair, fair enough. And on the men's side, it's a challenge, right? Because you don't like I don't want to waste the uh, the beaters. I don't want to waste a, a, a goalie here, even though obviously not. The keeper, excuse me, not the goalie. The keeper, not the goalie. <laughs> and you went, you went MLS, correct? I did, hmm. technically. Sam Vines. I'm throwing in Sam Vines. Sam Vines. <laughs> Out of nowhere. Out of nowhere. Sam Vines, I like the, the attacking intense, but can still do the defensive job, can function in a unit, can combine well to create some goals. That's my, my addition there, Sam Vines. Taylor, how could you choose Sam Vines over Anthony Robinson? This, what is this? What is this MLS bias? <laughs> I mean, I, on total soccer, I've got to justify that paycheck, Adam. I've got to get that that shill money. Hey, I, I I support you in that endeavor, and I wish you nothing but all the best money. <laughs> I appreciate that. So you've mm-hmm. got as your chasers: Serginho Dest, Christian Pulisic, Jordan Morris, and then Katarina Macario, Lynn Williams, Megan Rapino. I've got Weston McKinney, Eunice Musa, and Sam Vines. Could be some problems there. Uh, and then Sam Mewis, Kristen Press, and Tobin Heath. Let's move to keeper. And it, it feels a little too just obvious to go with the two obvious 
keepers that we do have, but you're, you're welcome to do so. I might try to vary it up a little bit, but the keeper obviously protects the hoops from the opposition attempting to score. That makes sense. Adam, who are you Indeed. picking? I will say um, that I've picked first in the last two categories, mm-hmm. so it feels fair, more fair, okay. for for you to get the first pick in these last two for keeper and beater. So, Taylor, I will I will acquiesce to allow you to pick first. <laughs> I appreciate that. You're welcome. I feel like I could just win by saying Matt Turner. Like I feel like that's the easy way to go here. But don't I, you I dare. will. <laughs> don't you dare take my keeper pick. <laughs> I won't. I will go Zach Steffen as Matt as, Turner. Matt Turner, think of Matt Turner. <laughs> I'm going to go Zach Steffen uh, for the distribution, for the willingness to just kind of like throw his body into things. But also with Pep, you know, he's got the he's got the the sweeper keeper, the using his feet if he has to. And I think he's going to help with possession a little bit. He's going to calm things down. And I'm going to go out. Of, I'm going to go random here. I'm taking Carly Lloyd as my goal cast, as my keeper on the women's side. Carly Lloyd is so competitive that I think she'll be so angry I didn't put her in a goal-scoring position. She will want to justify why she can even do this job. It doesn't matter. Put her wherever you want. So Carly Lloyd is my keeper. That is stupendous reasoning, and I, I can find She's zero fault with it at all. No, I, I, I enjoy that heavily. Yeah, keeper, <laughs> keeper and Quidditch is kind of a chaotic position. Yep. Uh, it's it's definitely, if, if you're looking through the books, a position of um, some weirdos, and and in general, I think being a goalkeeper in any sport didn't, like really necessitates a certain level of insanity. Um, and I'm really excited for what we're building up to here. <laughs> So I'm going to pick Ashlyn Harris because I, I, I think that there is a certain level of chaos that only she can bring that this team needs. And I and I want that. I want that in my squad. I lose. I lose. That's all You're there is to it. welcome that's, for that's... this content, Taylor. <sighs> that, that is the correct answer. I stand by Carly <laughs> Lloyd, but Ashlyn Harris is the... The obvious answer there, yes, and I feel like would get into it too. Would be like oh, I want to, I want to yeah. dominate this Quidditch pitch, and I'm going to Quidditch field, Quidditch pitch, Quidditch occasion. Quitch. I don't know whatever term they would. You, what, what did you go with? Quitch. Quitch. Thank you. Thank you so much. All right. So we've got our keepers. Final position would be the beater. They protect team members from bludgers using a bat. Uh, for those like me who didn't know what a bludger was, it's a bewitched iron ball that flies around trying to hit their teammates and knock them off their broomsticks. Sure oh, Quidditch. Is. Oh, Quidditch. Uh, am I still going first or do, oh, do we yep, revert yep. back to you? Please, please go first. Go make a make one one selection each for men and women, Taylor. All right. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go head over heart here, and for the women, I will go with Julie Ertz. Uh, Julie Ertz, <sighs> I think, is uh, is exactly who I need. Head on a swivel, sees everything, takes no guff. Uh, we'll we'll get into the physical challenges if need be. Yep. On the men's side, it, it's it's like like I want to just pick Jermaine Jones, but Jermaine Jones has retired, so it becomes <laughs> more challenging because I don't know. I really don't know who that figure of like defensive frenetic chaos is that i can chat like trust to to get into it a little bit but not back down from a challenge i'm gonna go deandre yedlin okay i feel like he's got the pace but he can he can handle it a little bit so i'm gonna go yedlin with my first one while i try to regroup and figure out my second one absolutely uh i am going to on the women's side of things uh go with somebody who i think has the defensive Mm -hmm. chaos abilities that you refer to but also has the vision because it's not just defending teammates from these bewitched iron balls that are trying to hurt people it's also 
trying to hurt the other mm. team with those bewitched iron balls that are that are flying towards them courtesy of your bat. Uh, I'm going to pick Kelly O'Hara yep. for, for the women's <laughs> side of things. Uh, that, that just conceptually in my mind makes sense to me. Um, and on the men's side of things, I'm going to pick John Brooks. He is uh, yep. a big, definitely big-bodied person for the Quidditch field. Uh, I, I feel like normally when you associate uh, players with Quidditch players, it's a lot of kind of small and, and faster people. But mm-hmm. I think that uh, John Brooks has those uh, those defensive capabilities in addition to the vision and accuracy to really try to knock other people off their broomstick with those with those uh, bludgers, I believe. <laughs> yes. that, that's what you they were called yes that, with the bludgers that is what they were called uh which sends it back to me i believe uh i will round out my squad by adding uh the one the only becky sauerbrunn uh who again i think i i trust the the defensive side but then there is that distribution there is the the vision the passing ability the long ball playing and i feel like she can definitely pick out some people knock them off their broomsticks pretty re- readily and then I, I'm just going in a very strange direction here because I think about a player who is maybe slightly bigger than we might think because I think of this player as being five foot eight, but he is actually <laughs> six foot one. Um, you wouldn't think of him as being the most like physically imposing, but I do think has some rage issues because we've seen him uh, <laughs> give away some maybe silly fouls when he definitely didn't need to. He does not back down from getting into it with people. I'm picking Giovanni Reyna. Reyna is my final beater for this one. So okay. De- DeAndre Edlin and Gio Reyna are not the people I would have thought going into this one, but here we Certainly are. Certainly not. Yeah, <laughs> no, I, I, I appreciate how willing you are to go out on a limb with yeah. these things. Yeah, it's a very um, attacking team we're building here. For real, yeah. Uh, for for my final selections uh, on the women's side of things, uh, I think Becky Sauerbrunn is an excellent choice, um, and I am just going to go ahead and yeah. take her typical partner in mm-hmm. crime, Abby Dahlkemper. That is, uh, I think, a very solid core for my uh, for my beater ranks. Um, <laughs> and on the men's side of things, I wanted to get a little bit more nasty. I wanted to get uh-huh. someone who I think has uh, a little bit more edge to him. And I wanted to get somebody, most importantly, who typically has haircuts that make him look like the bully in an 80s movie. And for that reason, of course. I'm choosing Aaron Long <laughs> yep. <laughs> and his raggedy mullet that he always somehow gets to, that mohawk mullet thing that he does. Uh, only Aaron Long would watch the Avengers movies and be like, you know what? Hawkeye, that's my dude. Yeah, that <laughs> is exactly what he did. That is exactly what occurred. Uh, yeah, and I think that's a that's a good place to, to end my draft. Yeah, I think it is. I think it is. Do you want to run through your teams one more time? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, on the women's side of things, I have Seeker, Crystal Dunn. Um, my keeper is Ashlyn Harris. I have for my chasers, Kat Macario, Lynn Williams, and who was the other person? Megan Rapino, yep. obviously. Uh, and my beaters were Abby Dahl Kemper and Kelly O'Hara. On the men's side of things, I have Timothy Weah as my seeker. My keeper is the all-encompassing Matt Turner, the immortal, <laughs> the inevitable, the infinite Matt Turner. <laughs> my chasers are Serginho Dest. Uh, I had also – yeah, it really one. is. Yeah, it's a great it's a great pick. I, th- I think so, too. Thanks. Uh, I have Christian Pulisic and I don't have Weston McKinney because I didn't get him and I forgot to write down who I selected with the other pick. Uh, Did Dest, you write that down? Pulisic and Jordan Morris. Jordan Morris. That's correct. Jordan Morris. We can't forget Jordan Morris. And yet you did. Uh, <laughs> and yet I did. Here we are. And then <laughs> for my beaters, I had the one, the only John Anthony Brooks mm-hmm. and our 
fake Hawkeye, Aaron Long. <laughs> fake Hawkeye. I love it. Uh, on the men's side for me, I went with Tyler Adams as my seeker, Weston McKinney, Eunice Musa, and Sam Vines. I'm going to throw in Reggie Cannon as my deputy uh, because I'm cheating. Uh, and then I've got Zach Steffen as my keeper, DeAndre Yedlin and Giovanni Reyna as the obvious beaters for this team. On the women's <laughs> side, Rose Lavelle as the seeker, Sam Mewis, Kristen Press, Tobin Heath as my chasers, Carly Lloyd, uh, doing things that nominally resemble being a goalie, and then uh, Julie Ertz and Becky Sauerbrunn as the beaters. Uh, yeah, I feel confident in Ertz and Becky Sauerbrunn. I feel confident in Tyler Adams and Rose Lavelle. The rest of my team, it's a little bit Hufflepuff. I, I really just need Carly Lloyd to go full, like, Jorge Campos, yep. taking the ball herself, yeah. the length of the field. Like, no, I'm going to do this. It's my turn. Thank you very much. <laughs> Which is... Almost certainly what would happen there. So yeah. I, I like our teams. Hopefully this means Yunus Musa commits to the United States. And if he does, I will take all the credit for it. Hopefully Matt Turner also commits to the U.S. And if so, then you can take the credit for that one. Yep. I think those are two reasonable propositions <laughs> to come out of the, uh, the Total yeah. Soccer Show Quidditch draft. Uh, we're going to move away from the uh, absurdity of a Quidditch draft to the absurdity of an alternate reality in just a moment. But first, a word from our sponsors. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. We are back, and we have another wonderful listener question, this one from Joey Jedlowski, who says slash asks uh, at time of sending it in. Today is Clint Dempsey's birthday. He's tied for most USMT goals ever, but he was inches away from breaking the record during the not-so-recent unpleasantness. Uh, that would be the U.S.'s fail to, failure to qualify for the 2018 World Cup. If that ball goes in against Trinidad, uh, we draw the game, we go to the World Cup, what would the March 2021 USMT look like? Who's the coach? Who's the U.S. soccer president? Which players are missing from, from or present on the team compared to the true timeline? Are there issues that the Federation would fail to reckon with in that timeline? Or would we basically be in the same position as the real one, except without the aching feeling of dread and panic surrounding every U.S. men's national team game? Adam, start wherever you would like with that question. Oh, man. I just love how existential the entire proposition yeah. of the question yeah. is it's so great i love the premise here uh happy belated birthday to clint dempsey mm -hmm. uh, aka deuce who i was thinking about recently uh because on twitter somebody said uh every white rapper tried to sound like eminem to which several people posted the don't tread music video yep. that clint dempsey released with nike i might add mm -hmm. and uh, big hawk and, and big hawk R.A.P. Pimp C, you know, it, there's, a, there's a lot of Houston rappers that obviously uh, Clint Dempsey was taking, uh, bit. we'll say, inspiration from a bit. in that particular uh, particular mu music video. But also, uh, 
I would like to think that that wasn't necessarily untrue to who Clint Dempsey was. This is a man who unironically called reporters pimped when they asked him questions this at times. So what can <laughs> yeah. you do? But yeah. yes, but yes. Uh, starting at starting at uh, at Kuva, if we mm-hmm. get that draw, um, and and going, <laughs> it's funny because it reminds me of the ridiculous of everything that game. Um, not only with that game, but everything that was occurring elsewhere. The Panama ghost goal, yeah, uh, that did not go into the net. That was called as a goal, um, and and just. Uh, the tremendous it felt bad at the time obviously mm. but there was a tremendous silliness that i think that we couldn't really fully appreciate because of how kind of monumental that loss was yes but say that goal goes in clint dempsey gets the goal scoring record uh say we make it to the world cup what changes what doesn't change mm-hmm. and i think when i wrote this i was surprised yep with how few things really changed Agreed. in my mind. Um, I think that the immediate consequences of we qualify for the World Cup um, and we, we draw with Trinidad and Tobago and, and things are more hunky-dory than they were, obviously, um, include getting drawn into something of a group of death. Maybe not the group of death, but... Uh, some some very competitive group. Yep. I could easily see us just slotting into that 2018 group that had like Japan and Senegal and Colombia, um, and and it's just kind of this this very very even group that I don't think we get out of. I think that uh, our our streak of getting out of the group stage in the World Cup ends, mm-hmm. and that uh, we are eliminated. I don't think Bruce would ever stay past the World Cup, regardless of what happens there. I think Bruce could win the World Cup and still feel like, yeah, it's time for me to yeah. go. Like that just seems the traditional grumpy Bruce Arena route for me. Let me let me jump in there, and we'll okay. we'll, we'll we'll then look at after that World Cup. But I, I'm with you pretty much straight down the line here, including your overall. Um, like conclusion that it's pretty similar. Um, but I think if they do go, if we're going to go with like what actually happened, it seems like the United States is either drawn into group E with uh, Brazil, Switzerland, and Serbia, or group G with Belgium, England, or Tunisia. I'm not sure how the coefficient rankings would have worked, but either way, I agree with you. I don't think we get out of either of those groups. I think we run into some problems. Bruce Arena himself afterwards was talking about how they were bad eggs in the team and the, the chemistry was off and he would have, maybe had seven different starters from that game in Kuva. And I think there would have been a few different ones, but I don't think it would have been enough of a noticeable change to really structurally alter that team and make them that much stronger. I think we're still going to have a competition between Viafania and Demarcus Beasley at left yeah. back. I think we're still probably going to start Tim Howard and aging Tim Howard with injured uh, adductors in, in goal. I think like maybe it's Jeff Cameron, but given the way things went in Trinidad, maybe it's not Jeff Cameron in there. Maybe it's still Omar. So I, I think like Christian Pulisic probably does start and maybe that's the big thing that does come out of it. But aside from that, I think it's roughly a similar team or at least that squad on the whole. And so I think, yeah, we don't make it out of the group. And I think that's probably the start of where things feel like we've got to get things uh, changed up a little bit. Yeah. And I also was kind of looking at this and looking at that that roster and that starting lineup for Kuva and, and wondering, like, who lost the most? Like, mm-hmm. who was the biggest loser from this group of people? And and yeah, there's like some obvious candidates like Omar Gonzalez obviously yep. had that insane own goal that he could not score 
again, if he absolutely tried and like, it was just a perfect miss hit. Um, thank you dogs. Hello. Um, and, and, and there were, there were plenty of other people that, that, that didn't have a good game that some people were upset with, um, afterwards and, and in some cases years afterwards, um, I mean, the, the hate from Michael Bradley and Josie Altidore continues in many places. What are you, what are you going to do? But I actually think the person who, who lost the hardest here was Kellen Acosta. Hmm. Kellen Acosta went from, having a a good showing in that very kind of probably what was considered, I think in some ways the most impressive stretch of two games that Bruce Arena had in his limited second run with the U S men's national team, when they had the home win against, um, I, I think it might've been a home win against Trinidad and Tobago. Um, Followed immediately by the trip to Mexico City. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think that's I can't right. remember. Yeah. I can't remember who who the who the game they played against first was. I think it was TNT. I could be wrong. But then immediately you went to Mexico City, where you had the the Michael Bradley Golasso mm-hmm. like huge nearly half yard chip that they did. They pull out the draw in Mexico City, which is what they were set up to do all along. Kellen Acosta was kind of seen as like this guy can play. Like th- this guy should be around for a while. And we went immediately to we don't we barely see anything of this person for yeah. the next four years, which is which is insane wow. yeah. to think about. And and right. and he just came back under Greg Berhalter. But I think if we if we win that game, Kellen Acosta sticks around far more than what actually happened, which is, you know, you have the Dave Sarakin era where it's just kind of focused on we are blooding as many young players as we can, as much as we can. And that leads or at least helps lead. I don't want, want to give all the credit to yeah. the U.S. falling out, but that helps lead to the rise of some of these people like Weston McKinney, like Tyler Adams. Um, you have this big youth movement. And and to that extent, I don't know if if we don't have that big youth movement and all of a sudden we have within the space of a year, Tyler Adams and Wes McKinney are integral parts of the senior men's national team. I don't know if they are where they are now, which is being one of the best midfielders that Juventus has, being a very, very mm. important and trusted player at RB Leipzig under one of the most sought after coaching prospects in the world, Julian Nagelsmann. I don't I don't know if all of that happens. So, yeah, I think I think that that Kellen Acosta, um, that career arc looks a lot different in terms of actual personnel. I, I think that we still see the youth movement that occurs regardless because there's too many yeah. really, really good young players for that to really change. I, I don't think the 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 Kuva thing negates what occurs in the 2019 U20 World Cup. I don't think the Kuva thing fully negates the rise of Weston McKenney and Tyler Adams or what we eventually get with Gio Reyna, what we eventually get when we see Yunus Musa on the field. All that stuff was going to come either way. All that stuff, I think, would happen regardless. I just don't know if the youth movement happens as quickly. I think there's a little bit more status quo that occurs. And so I don't know if some of those players are in the lofty positions that they find themselves in now. I think that's a that's a that's a fair approach, because like to to your point about Kalen Acosta, that feels like a. 
Bedoya, Ricardo Clark, Maurice Adu, midfielder that Bruce Arena would have nah. wanted to use if they totally. if he went with that like four four two the four four two diamond that I think he probably would have stuck with. It's uh, Michael Bradley at the base, Christian Pulisic ahead of him. I could easily see Kellen Acosta in there, and you would think, well, Weston McKinney coming through that makes sense there. Tyler Adams coming through that makes sense there. But I'm with you that I don't know how much Bruce Arena would have gone young unproven quote-unquote players that quickly so maybe they're in that squad but maybe they're not starting as much so I think inevitably they are I think you're absolutely right I think that youth movement still happens and I think to some extent the changes that have occurred that have benefited youth soccer are like still necessarily not paying dividends yet I think that like we'll know five years from now, how like structurally things have changed. But for the most part, I think some of those players were just going to be there no matter what. It's just kind of varying timelines. But when we talk about like other players whose legacies were impacted, you mentioned a few. Uh, I want to go back to a couple of them because I think we would have had probably DeMarcus Beasley going either as depth or as a starter. But either way, he would be, uh, I think, just the fourth player to appear in five world cups that would have been cool i think on the men's side on the men's, on the men's side, side yes thank you thank you thank you uh josie outdoor michael, michael bradley i think obviously there's not so much negativity towards them i think there's always going to be people who think they're not good enough or think they shouldn't have come back to major league soccer but they're not going to be sort of saddled with this burden of it's your fault uh and they're not going to get booed in atlanta for example or at least sure. not as uh viciously and then strangely i think clint dempsey is one whose legacy is mildly impacted because we go from him not scoring that goal so he stays tied with Lennon Donovan for uh, career goals for the national team which I get the impression he doesn't really care about that much, but the yeah. thing that I kind of had completely forgotten is that that's his last game for the U.S. men's national team, and that's a weird way for a player like Clint Dempsey to go out. Whereas if he scores that goal, then he goes ahead in the in the like the uh, the standings. But then also, I think he probably gets some more goals in friendlies leading up to the World Cup. Maybe he scores one more in a World Cup, and I think he really does become sort. of... I say sort of undisputedly, but like, like I think he is very much front and center in that conversation for best men's player uh, for the U.S. of all time. And and weirdly, instead, it feels like sort of a like he fades away a little bit from the the picture. So I think those four players definitely have a different perspective on their career uh, if the United States goes to the World Cup, or at least they are treated a little bit differently. What do you yeah. think about players who would have had? Maybe if not breakouts at that at that tournament, then would have maybe had stronger positions like Christian Pulisic, like uh, Kellen Acosta, as you mentioned. Yeah, I mean, I could definitely see a world in which Kellen Acosta makes a World Cup squad and has a little DeAndre Yedlin esque turn, mm-hmm. like Yedlin had in the 2014 World Cup, where he's called into action. Uh, you know, Jurgen Klinsmann uses him to to good effect. It must be said as a winger um against portugal uh he he really starts to open things up and create some problems in the portuguese defense and then also in the knockout rounds he goes in against belgium and does a it must be said a very good job going up against eden hazard mm-hmm. who at the time was kind of more towards the you know he wasn't a punchline yet he was he was considered one of the best players in the world easily um so th- that that is I could easily see Kellen Acosta just having a game where, say, the U.S. ends up playing England or Belgium or or what have you, one of those teams in, in a strong group. And Kellen Acosta goes and plays well. And all of a sudden you have some mid-table Premier League club mm-hmm. that says to themselves, that that seems like a player like like let's let's go. Watford goes out and buys Kellen Acosta. Like, why not? Who says no? That that makes total sense to me. Um I also wonder if 
I also wonder if Darlington Nagby mm-hmm. has a slightly different career tra- trajectory yeah. there. Um, and in general, I wonder if he has a different attitude towards the entire concept of the men's national team, the international game. Um, Darlington Nagby, it's it's well documented. He is kind of a private person. He is a big family person. And, and the reasons that he's given for not accepting call-ups and, and kind of unceremoniously shuffling off of the scene with the U.S. men's national team has been a lot of, you know, when you look at getting called up and, and, you know, going and leaving and you're already on traveling, it's a lot. And I want to spend time with my family and that's fair. But I also wonder how much it kind of impacted him personally to be a part of that group where a lot of people just said, these people didn't give any effort. These people are a disgrace because there was, there's a lot of very nasty words for the players on the field. Um, And I just wonder if, Mm -hmm. if, if they make that, if they, if they make that draw, if Darlington Nagby probably goes to the World Cup, yeah, he um, starts against Trinidad. Yep. Yeah, uh, and 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 I, I wonder what happens. I wonder if he's still playing for the U.S. Men's National Team today because I still think that he possesses some skills that no other players in yeah. the national team pool that I can think of match in just his ability to stay on the ball, not lose it, and when he wants to, take people on on the dribble. All right, I let yeah, that's that's a great that's a great shout. I have two more for players that maybe would have been positively impacted in terms of their careers, one more than the other. I think let's say they do get drawn, the US does get drawn into that group with Belgium, England and Tunisia. I think a lot of clubs are going to be watching Belgium because they have the talent they do. I think a lot of English clubs are going to be watching England. And if John Brooks sort of handles Harry Kane or causes a lot of problems, I do wonder if maybe he gets a move to a higher profile Premier League team. I don't know if that helps him with his development long term because we've seen plenty of players go to England and some it has worked for and some less so. But I wonder if he becomes a bit more high profile, especially having scored at the World Cup in 2014. If he were to say really like lock down Harry Kane or cause him a bunch of problems, maybe that uh, generates a move or some rumors of a move. And then the other one is maybe if Bobby Wood scores a goal at the World Cup, hey. if Bobby Wood is starting in a couple World Cup games, does that help with his confidence? Does he not have that negativity surrounding him because they're not qualified? Does he feel better about playing for the national team? Does he feel pl- better about playing in general? And does that help him perform better, score more goals at club level? There's an argument to be made, and I think that, yeah, it just playing in a World Cup, it has to boost your confidence a little bit. Even if you lose two and draw one or lose all three, I think playing in a World Cup, no matter what, elevates you a little bit and makes you feel like, I've achieved this thing, I'm good enough to be here, I'm one of the 23 best players for my national team. So, yeah, I, I can do things, and I wonder if that helps him a little bit as well. Even if it's just getting out of Hamburg, also that. Uh, if, if you if you get out of Hamburg <laughs> yeah. sooner, because I mean, part and parcel to the the Bobby Wood saga was how bad so many of those Hamburg teams were, mm-hmm. and how often, like watching a lot of those games, any of their forwards, not just Bobby Woods, how how often any of their forwards were kind of tasked with you kind of have to create everything mm-hmm. on your own, um, and I wonder, you know, if Bobby Wood goes to the World Cup and scores a goal or two. And somebody else signs him, and in a team where attack is there, there is more emphasis placed on attack and the coherency of the midfield in service of a forward, a, a goal scoring forward that that Bobby Wood kind of made his name as. Like that's that's the reason he got where he was. Like I am a person who's going to go in and score goals. Yeah. Um, I wonder if 
Bobby Wood's career looks significantly different yep. if he doesn't have just this kind of slow demise where the team isn't playing well, he isn't playing well, the team starts to drop him, he loses confidence, he doesn't want to leave because he's getting paid a lot of money and he won't get that anywhere else, but the team is you know, the team is getting relegated. The team all of a sudden doesn't have as much money to work with. Like are all of these things mm-hmm. together. I, I think that Bobby Wood is a good show. I am in, in, in my opinion, I think that in terms of the coach and who, what we see from the post Bruce Arena era, mm-hmm. I think Greg Berhalter still gets the job. Yep. And more than that, I think Jay Berhalter faces a lot less scrutiny and he gets oh. the CEO job. Because wow. I think that'll yep, you're part totally right. and parcel, mm-hmm. part and parcel to that whole backlash against Jay Burhalter after Greg Burhalter was hired, was the fact that oh, we spent so long looking for a coach, and we had Dave Sarakin for so long, and then we just hired Jay Burhalter's brother, and oh, uh, you know, Jay Burhalter's criticism was the conflict of interest of hiring your brother. But it was piggyback, piggybacking off of a long, you know, year and a half to two years of what are we doing? You know, everybody's kind of echoing the Taylor Twelman rant as we go along. And I, I think that if we make the World Cup, I don't think Jay Berhalter faces that same level, level of scrutiny. No. And he gets set up for that CEO job that he was probably the first choice for before there was a big kind of public furor about it and he decided to resign from his post at us soccer um so that was that was something that i was thinking about and and it was funny the when i met you taylor the first time i met you um when we were at that game uh in philadelphia Mm -hmm. uh against bolivia and there was several people hanging out at one point and People were talking because Greg Berhalter was rumored. And oh, yeah, that was Sarakin like, still in charge. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Sarakin was still in charge. I felt like the kind of feeling in the room was people thought that Greg Berhalter wouldn't get the job because Jay Berhalter having the position that he had would hurt his chances because people would immediately call out conflict of interest. But what transpired in real life was. Greg Berhalter got the job mm-hmm. and Jay Berhalter was still there. And, and like that part went through, <laughs> like, yeah. which, which is, which I think was a surprise to, to several people. And then Jay Berhalter was kind of like, now I have to set step down. Like this is kind of derailed my progression as opposed to what a lot of people I think thought was what happened would be the, like the other way around. Yeah. So that was an interesting thing that, I thought about. Um, I don't I think, think the new timeline saves Carlos Cordero's job either because that was far more to do with the women and the women, the yeah. equal pay thing. Uh, Cindy Parlo Cohn makes a lot of sense in the alternate timeline for the president job. But oh, I, I think, think I think there's a different woman in charge in the alternate timeline. That's oh? my feeling. Because I think either like Sunu Gulati's initial comments after that, uh, the loss to Trinidad were what, like two inches shouldn't one way or the other shouldn't like dictate wholesale change. And I think that probably would have been the philosophy if they'd qualified and then gotten like uh like the floor wiped with them like then maybe mm-hmm. there is a move towards okay we got to change some things i can't remember if sunogalati was going to step down anyway but i do remember that in those elections his preferred candidate was kathy carter uh who has That's all the some connections and i think just the the frustration with us soccer 
if they if they don't do very well and they don't make it out of the group, there's that feeling of like, ah, eh, but they lost to England, they lost to Belgium. Ah, uh, yes, the Swiss the Swiss are actually a really tricky team, and you know you you never know how this team's going to do. And I think you can always kind of explain it away. So even if Gulati steps down, I think Kathy Carter still it probably takes over. There's not as there's not nine people running for. Uh, the presidency, and you don't have the kind of open forum debates uh, with with Hope Solo and Eric Winalda involved. But I think you're right. We either still have Gulati or we have Kathy Carter. Maybe it is somebody else, but I think Jay Berhalter is still there, and I think there is still that inclination to coming away from what happened with Jurgen Klinsmann, which is still fresh on the mind at that point. Bruce <laughs> yes. Arena isn't going to uh, continue on. I think they probably look domestic, and I think it ends up being Greg Berhalter for the reasons why we all sort of felt aside from his brother already being there, it felt like it was a foregone conclusion for about a year that it was going to be Greg Berhalter. And I think that probably doesn't change. So I think there's probably less anger openly towards U.S. soccer in this alternate reality, but I think there's still plenty of dysfunction and weird stuff happening, and, and it is only a matter of time until it comes out. But I think off the field, things look fairly similar, albeit in a worse way. Yeah, I mean, looking at the the just the potential other domestic coaching candidates at mm-hmm. the time, you had basically it was it was Greg Berhalter or Peter Vermees, uh, like yeah. Caleb Porter maybe, Vandy, but Vandy also was in there very. Briefly, Vandy was in there, and Caleb Porter had that kind of the legacy of not qualifying for that one Olympics yep. uh, under his belt. So people, I think, were already were also looking at that, and um, Vermees is. SKC teams have been, you know, historically consistent. Um, at the time, I want to say they weren't great um, in that kind of like 2018 uh, time span. I can't remember. It was one of those seasons uh, in 2018, 2019, where they just had like a very down year in comparison to how SKC usually performs. Um, but yeah, like it just. Greg Berhalter always made the most sense if you were going to pick a domestic coach, which I mean, plenty of people didn't want to pick a domestic coach. But if you were going to make that choice, it just seemed like Greg Berhalter was always going to be the selection. Um, It's really weird. It's really weird to me that like with this question, like I I initially thought it was going to be I think this would be like my kind of closing summary. Hopefully we'll see. We'll see how long we go with this one. But like. I think with this question, I assumed it was going to be like things are just fundamentally different. And in thinking about it and reading more about the teams and what happened afterward, I feel like, yeah, I think I I agree with you. I think we're on the same page that it's it's more similar. Uh, but I think there is an argument to be made that it is, in the end, a silver lining, that we do get uh, uh, Cindy Parlacone coming through, and it does feel like there is going to be more positive change hopefully i also think that the u.s men's failure to qualify has a strangely positive impact on the u.s women's team because there becomes much more talk like i feel like it was much more consistently Mm -hmm. said of like why are we paying the men as much or more when they can't even play in a world (laughs) cup and the women are winning it twice like i think the women because we don't have the world cup in 2018 and because the men's team just looks so all over the place and so inconsistent they look so much better by comparison that i think there's automatically a lot more positivity about that team and a lot more just enthusiasm for them and support for everything they're trying to achieve and so to some extent i think that puts them in a stronger position and so i did not love that and i will never ever say like oh it was a good thing we didn't qualify and i still think it's not a huge enough thing that like 
like, oh, man, what, what might have been? We'd have flying cars if we'd gone to the World Cup. <laughs> but I still think there are reasons for why it maybe wasn't, in the end, the worst thing to not go. Yeah, and and kind of like looking at the little butterfly effect of things. Like, you know, with that huge youth movement that was instituted, I mean, kind of as a direct result of we need – more or less like a full reset here in terms of like our player personnel for the men's pool. Um, if that doesn't happen, what are the little implications? Yep. Um, does Sebastian Soto get his couple caps that let him go to Norwich? Yeah. Does, does Daryl DK get his cap mm-hmm. that lets him go to Barnsley? I meant to like, pick Daryl DK as a beater. What's wrong with me? I'm an idiot. That was on my list and I silly, forgot. Silly goose. Oh, oh well. Oh well. <laughs> but oh, yeah, well. I, I mean, I, I, I think that, that there is, there is to some extent plenty of good that occurred because of that. I, I don't think that it's necessarily enough good to mm-hmm. be like, yeah, yeah I'm happy exactly. that we didn't exactly. qualify for the 2018 world cup. Cause I'm still not like, nope. I'm still upset about yep. it. Um, <laughs> and I think I, I remember, I remember there being like a Weston McKenney interview where somebody then like the day after it happened, um, mm-hmm somebody it might have been christian pulisic because they were both playing in germany at the time it might have been uh it might have been somebody else but there was like this thing where weston mckinney had like stayed up until three in the morning or something like that watching it and somebody had called him or gone into his room or something and be like hey did you see and it was he was just like buried under mm-hmm. a pile of blankets so the story went and he didn't even get up he just like says i know <laughs> oh. and and i'm kind of like it, it there is something of an origin story for a lot of these players that really went and said i want to make sure that never happens again like i want to yeah. be the face of what the u.s what u.s soccer and u.s men's soccer becomes and not what it has been i'm glad you 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 bring us there because it does then make me wonder if Greg Berhalter with that in mind, how he approaches qualifying. And if there is, cause arena definitely had that draw on the road, win at home, yeah. you qualify. Uh-huh. And does Berhalter take a more, Nope, we want to win every single game. We want to be proactive and have possession. Like do players just have a little bit more sharpness because you can't afford to lose to Honduras and draw them and lose to Costa Rica and New Jersey. You can't afford to have those consistent slip-ups, whereas in the past maybe players felt like, yeah, yeah, we're going to qualify. We know we will. So I think that's a good point to end on is maybe an optimistic one of we'll see how World Cup qualifying goes. But if we see everybody wanting to play away at Honduras, we'll know that (laughs) the attitude is slightly different. Anything else to add on this question before we move on to our final two, Adam? I'm just thinking about that that game that the U.S. drew in Honduras the last mm-hmm. time we went around a World Cup qualifying, yep. and it was the greatest use of too long grass I think I have ever seen in my life. Oh, yeah. Because Honduras, all game long, kicked that thing mm-hmm. as hard as they could into the opposite corners, and the ball just held up automatically. And God bless them, Albert Elise <laughs> – was faster than everybody else on the field because of course he is. And they just attacked that way and it worked. And I watched it and I thought to myself, my God, that is so smart. <laughs> that is so smart. <laughs> oh, cock-a-calf. Oh, cock-a-calf. All right. Uh, well, we'll talk a little bit more U.S. Women's National Team. We'll talk a little bit more Norwich uh, in just a second. Two aforementioned teams. But first, a word from today's sponsors. 
This episode is brought to you by LinkedIn Jobs, who would like to remind you when you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. You don't want to end up with Ryan, Graham, and Joe. Just kidding. Just kidding. Very much just kidding, because I was very fortunate to have the three of them all join the show, and I had existing relationships with all three of them that allowed me to know that they could handle the the the, uh, the amount of work that would be required, that they could be diligent in their tasks and be very effective on mic, and they, all three of them are. But again, that's because you have the existing relationship. If you don't feel like you have that with potential hires, then LinkedIn is going to make it very, very easy, and they're going to make it feel like you are connected to that person. They have a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire because it gives you access to professionals you can't find anywhere else. But when you are setting the requirements and making it very specific as to what you're looking for, you can very quickly narrow it down to find the right candidate for that position. Hiring is easy when you have that many candidates. So easy, in fact, that 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. And LinkedIn is constantly finding ways to make the process easier. They even just launched a feature that helps you write job descriptions, making the process even easier and quicker. 2.5 million small businesses use LinkedIn for hiring, and you can too. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash TSS. That's linkedin.com slash TSS to post your job for free. Terms and conditions do apply. Thank you very much to LinkedIn for sponsoring today's episode. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. All right. Uh, Baron Lord, our next question comes from Kenneth Seiden. Uh, besides dominance, has Vlatko implemented a tactical identity for the U.S. women's national team? If so, what would you describe the identity they are trying to implement? Mm, yes, dominance. Mm, yes. <laughs> I feel like I need a pipe, a monocle. <laughs> now that I've been not only addressed as uh, my, my full title, but also I get to talk about the U.S. women's national team at, at some length. When I look at the the women under Vlatko mm-hmm. and compare it to the U.S. Women's National Team under Jill Ellis, I think overall, and, it, and it's still difficult to tell because we we don't have that many reps under Vlatko, right? We we don't have a ton of data, mm-hmm. or at least not nearly as much as we had under Jill Ellis. Uh, as I knock the spoon of my empty cereal bowl, boy. Um, you gotta have an empty cereal bowl on the desk. I have mine yeah, right up just, above me. Yep. Just, just, just there. Um, I think that overall, I see a little bit more tactical flexibility under Vlatko. <laughs> Thank you. Mm-hmm. Thank you for the, for the cereal bull shot. You're welcome. <laughs> I think I see a little bit more tactical flexibility and a little bit more fluidity on the field under Vlatko than under yep. what we saw under Joe Ellis. And, and that's the way I describe that, I guess, is that. When I watched a Jill Ellis side from almost the the lineup, I knew what the side was basically going to play like. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and I felt like a lot of the time you saw people they were they were given their positions and it was like I'm not even going to stray very far from what my position is on the field a lot of the time. The defense was very, very solid. Obviously, when you have 
fullbacks like Crystal Dunn, Kelly O'Hara, they're going to get up the field. Um, but defense is very solid. Julie Ertz knows her role. She's a destroyer, uh, bouncing around the midfield, kind of shielding that. Uh, you had Sam Mewis, who is just everywhere, and and Rose Lavelle, uh, and the kind of the Rose Lavelle slash Lindsey Horan position, which was midfielder, but with a little bit more freedom. And then you had very wingery wingers in Megan Rapinoe and Tobin Heath. You knew what they were going to try to do all the time. And a very, very forward, number nine forward in Alex Morgan, mm-hmm. who was going to stay yep. locked in the middle of the pitch a lot of the time. And not, not to say that she only did that or that was all of her game, but Alex Morgan is on the field to score goals. Right. That's why you have her on the field. Um, in comparison – I see a lot more players that are willing to and, – and a lot of it's the same personnel, but Vlaco under him so far, I see a lot of players that are accessing their ability to do multiple things on the field. Mm-hmm. I see – Crystal Dunn specifically, but a lot of fullbacks that are being used under Vlatko. I mean we can go and further into like Midge Purse, Emily Sauna at one point had an impressive showing maybe not so much in the she believes cup um but i think that you saw more more freedom to roam a little bit from uh the fullbacks and crystal dunn at times has played like a central midfielder in possession um when she is playing left back for the united states under vlatko you've seen obviously the debut of cat macario but you've also seen in addition to a bunch of cat macario lately you've also seen a bunch of carly lloyd lately who both of those players are players that you put on the field when you want them to go do whatever they want like those are players that you don't want tied down. You want them to roam. You want them to find the game and just be as dangerous wherever you see fit on the field. Like those are that's the MO for both mm-hmm. of those players. So I think that in a broad sense right now, Vlatko's U.S. women's national team feels a little bit more fluid on the field than Jill Ellis's team. Yeah, that's interesting because like you might assume that like if you're giving everybody kind of freedom to – do what they want to do within their position that it, it leads to more familiarity and more sort of like individuality, which can lead to a little bit of like free flowing attacking soccer. But in my mind, what I think he's trying to do is to your point, set players up to know I'm going to do this, but if that doesn't work, I'm going to do this. And if that doesn't work, then I'm supposed to go here and try this thing. And I think you're seeing some of those, like a player can be here or can be there or can do this. Lindsay Horan is another good example of that. I think. Yeah. yeah. Like that, like, uh, we saw that Jordan and I talked about that, that you would have Lindsay Horan as the left center, left central midfielder go out and be the left winger. And then Kristen Press, if she were on the left wing, would go inside and be more of like an interior striker. And you, you have, I think, these rotations, these patterns that are designed to overload, uh, pack mm-hmm. defenses and they're designed to, put players in more advantageous attacking positions more consistently. And that's what I think the biggest difference for me has been. Not that Jill Ellis was bad at that or didn't do enough of that, but just there seems to be under Vlatko more of a desire to have positional play and to have players moving into spaces that were previously occupied by other players and then were intentionally opened up. I think it's why Crystal Dunn will remain a left back for him because if you have Lindsay Horan drift wide and then she gets the ball and then she dribbles inside and then you have an overlapping late arriving run from Crystal Dunn who's now open, you start to just have different opportunities that you wouldn't have if everybody was kind of sticking in their relatively static positions and trying to move the ball from left to right and open up 
that way. If you have the players themselves opening up the space and then the ball goes into it, I think you have more attacking dominance. And to some extent, I think that's been the biggest thing for him is I'm not as worried about the defense. I know my center backs are good. I know I've got good fullbacks. I want to figure out how to break down compact teams that are looking to sit and counter. And then I also want to look at how do we limit the effectiveness of those counterattacks. And I think that's still a thing that in the She Believes we saw on occasion was a vulnerability of players getting pushed sure. too far forward or there being overloads or even just differences in pace when it came to Emily Sonnet versus a few different uh, attackers. So I think that's a thing we'll see him work on more. But I think primarily the emphasis in my mind has been on how do you open up teams that really do not want to be opened up and what players can allow you to do that while doing a couple other things at the same time. Yeah, and and Jill Ellis is kind of in a weird spot to talk about because it feels it still feels like Jill Ellis and and her roster decisions, her tactics on the field, for a lot of people feel easy to criticize. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, she won back to back World Cups. Well, there's that, <laughs> and and you know you you have the argument. Well, she has the easily the most the deepest team in the world, and then the the flip side of that is well, other people have had the same like similar U.S. Women's National teams and haven't won back to back World Cups, and and you, you can go back and forth on that all day. But when I think about Jill Ellis, and and I I go back to that 2019 World Cup because it was like throughout the tournament, it felt like. This is the dominant team. This is the team we mm-hmm. expect to win. That That is the vibe I got all tournament. But when you got into the knockout rounds, it was close game after close game. Like those games against, even even that game against Spain, mm-hmm. you know, wasn't wasn't a, a, a gimme. The game against France, the game against England. In fact, I don't feel like I saw like a really dominant performance from like a truly dominant where I felt like at no point during this game, I think the other team is going to win. I don't think I saw all that from the U.S. women's national team in the knockout round until we got to the final against the Netherlands. Yeah, uh, and and I when I watched that game, I said this is the better team. Yeah, they will definitely win. Those other games, you all had chances for those other teams, and and I think some of that is a consequence of a lot of Jill Ellis's teams were set up to be a little bit more defensively sound. Will let the attackers figure it out and and rely on a bunch of people's individual ability to figure things out. Um. And it resulted in a bunch of close games as opposed to I think what Vlaco is doing and more to your point, which is creating a little bit more overload, trying to focus more on being offensively dominant. And has that resulted in problems at times? Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, you saw that in the She Believes Cup with uh, in the Canada game. Nichelle Prince was all over the U.S. defense and probably at one point um, some of her pressure and her attacking play should have resulted in a goal against Brazil. Uh, we're still chasing mm-hmm. after Marta. We're yeah. still chasing after Dabinia. Mm-hmm. Um, even though the U.S. wins those games, you see that there are some things to be ironed out still. Um but at the same time, on the opposite side of the field, I think there are more chances being taken mm-hmm. to extend leads, to establish some attacking dominance. So, yeah, I, I think there's definitely a, a a sizable tactical difference that we see between Jill Ellis and Vlatko Andonovsky. I don't know if I can decidedly say yeah. one is better, but I think there is definitely a difference. Yeah, and I think there there has to be, but I think it's fair to not want to jump to that conclusion because, as you said, Jill Ellis won two World Cups in a row. Like, that yep. is sure no did. small feat. Uh, and so I think if you're Vlatko coming in, there has to be evolution. You have to kind of further refine things, and it's not going to be 
this thing wasn't working to our earlier conversation, and so I have to change it, and we have to have a new person in charge. I think it can be, this is a team that's won the World Cup twice. I'm going to use a lot of the same players, but I want to see what like the next level is for some of these players, what that additional ability might be that I can get out of them that makes this team that much better. So we do win that France game 3-0 instead of 2-1, or that Spain game sure. 3-0 instead of 2-1. I kind of forgot how close every single knockout round game was. That is totally. kind of wild. So good call there, Adam. Uh, anything else to say about this one before we get to our final question? Chris Dunn is the best player on the U.S. Women's National Team. That's why she was your first pick, right? Yeah. Yeah, full disclosure, she was also my first pick. Rose Lavelle was my, my, <laughs> my backup. You beat me. Well done, sir. As I've said on Twitter several times, it has been Crystal Dunhive, and it remains Crystal Dunhive. Thank you very much. <laughs> Next question, Tim. Uh, comes from another Taylor, a fellow Taylor. Taylor Judd asks, or I always do this, says and then asks, Norwich <laughs> is top of the championship, uh, meaning they will bounce back to the Premier League after being out for a year. I've been a fan since studying there as an American abroad. I've always known them as a ping pong club. Uh, what is that? And are there better current or historical examples of this up down type club, both in England and elsewhere? Let's uh, start in England. I'm actually... Not as familiar with ping pong. There's a different term I've heard used for this type of club in England. Yeah, I've always said yo-yo. That's the one. Because mm. it goes down, up, then it goes yeah. back up. Like the ping pong analogy, we have to like reorient it in our minds yeah. for it to really actually <laughs> yeah. function correctly. Yeah. Or at least at least function in the way that I'm used to seeing mm-hmm. tables laid out, <laughs> where you're either at the top yeah. of the table or the bottom of the table. It's a very weird ping pong game down. if you're playing vertical but, like that, yeah. But yes, I, I have always called them yo-yo clubs, but I am familiar with with many of these clubs. Uh, so we've got let's let's talk about a few examples then, because, yeah, sure. uh, yeah, I've, I've the yo-yo being the up and the down. Uh, the two that I think like I wasn't sure if they were necessarily fair ones that came to mind. I looked it up. They are uh, <laughs> would be West Brom. I've talked about yep. them, I think, recently. They're the first one that came to mind. And I think with good reason, they've been promoted to the Premier League four times since 2001 uh, in 2001, 2003, 2007 and 2009. And then the other one. Less so of late uh, was Sunderland, who for a while were bouncing back and forth with regularity. Not so yeah. much now. They're they're pretty much mostly uh, yeah. mostly just going down and down and down. That's the one. That's the one. <laughs> uh, other ones like like West Ham and Newcastle were vaguely in that conversation for me for a little while. Newcastle, yeah, yeah. Newcastle vaguely. I could get that. And Burnley as well because they had that one like go up, go back down, come right back up sort of uh, spell. But really they've been so consistent in the Premier League that I don't think they qualify. But West Brom and Sunderland were the two that came to mind for me. Uh, in specifically in England lately, Fulham I think is a, a, a fair call. shout. Yeah. Um. I and Man, yeah. It feels, that's a good it call. It feels a little weird. I think specifically to like people of uh, of my age and your age, um, that kind of in when you think about the Premier League, a lot of the time you're kind of used to Fulham being consistent and there being Americans there, so you kind of kept tabs on Fulham a lot of the time for a long while, and they were just always kind of there like, yeah. Oh yeah, they're, they're in the Premier League consistently, but lately they've been a pretty solidly a yo-yo club. I would say, um, I also had somebody like a Birmingham city, uh, just those teams that you kind of view as like the usual suspects in terms of, Oh, either they're out of the league or, Oh yeah, they're back in the league. Look at them. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, I did do a little bit of digging and in England, it looks like the most yo-yo-y club of them all is Notts County, mm-hmm. which has been promoted over the course of their football league history 13 times and relegated 
16 times. That's they not a good are, number. That's no, not a good balance. They are also, to my knowledge, the only football league club to ever be owned by Lord Voldemort. <laughs> um, so this is actually a podcast episode that uh, on me and my brother's podcast, Deadball Brothers, that, that we went over. Um, but in the early 2000s, I want to say it was, I came upon this because somebody asked the question to us. What is the team that went from doing really, really bad to doing really, really well? Mm-hmm. Um, and they were kind of using the the Leicester City Championship year as a, a springboard for the idea. And so my mind immediately went to the whole the genesis of the Eddie Howe Bournemouth story, where you have Bournemouth on the mm-hmm. verge of liquidation. They get the point penalty. They manage to stay up, and then the next season they get promoted. And I thought that was a good place to start. And I realized. That in that two-year time frame and in those same leagues, they weren't the team that had the biggest point differential. It was Notts County who finished one place above them in that really liquidation-threatened season and then won the league the next year. Because the next year, they got bought, but they got bought in a scam that included a person who signed all of his correspondence as Lord Voldemort signed Svenjorn Eriksson to coach the team, signed Sol Campbell for mm-hmm. approximately a couple of weeks before he left. And I believe the most notable player now that is still playing that was a veteran of that Knott's County squad, Casper Schmeichel, which brings oh. us all back to Leicester City. Um, I was ready for you to tell me that either the owner was named like Tom Riddle or that like Ray nope. Fiennes had come in and like purchased a controlling stake. I wasn't ready for it to he, go that way. Wow. He did not want people to know who the exact owner was. <laughs> it was kind of rumors that it was a Qatari <laughs> royal family thing uh, that was happening. Of course. Or or Bahrain, one of those one of those uh um UAE adjacent countries. Um but uh yeah he signed all of his club correspondence as uh as Lord Voldemort. So that's a red anyway, flag, that's a, that's a red flag that's a, for a number of is, reasons. It certainly is. I also in my research found uh i thought to myself germany probably has a word like the germans have a word for this probably <laughs> and they do indeed have a word for this oh, team boy. and it's farstuhlmannschaften um which sounds far scarier than yo-yo club but it literally means elevator teams is that what far is farstuhl elevator i'm guessing i i don't know how exactly it all breaks uh-huh. down all i know is that when i picture german in my mind i just think of everything as like lego blocks mm-hmm. um because it all kind of tends to just get like mashed together, yeah. all these different words and like a lot of compound words. I don't know anything about German really, but that's that's how I view it in my mind. Is there a, is there a particular club that gets that title? Uh, FC Nuremberg. That's what I was wondering. I was wondering if yep. it was Nuremberg. Nuremberg are are frequent uh, Farschulmannschaften. Um, also lately, clubs like Paderborn. Yeah. Um, you see uh, a few teams. Uh, I'm trying to think uh, who else. Uh, not not Union because they are just promoted and have have stayed up lately. Mm-hmm. Um, you could say oh oh teams like um teams like Armenia mm-hmm. Bielefeld um, are are another kind of example of teams that come up go back down. Uh, you could even make. Yeah, I, think the... I remember them getting promoted in 2009, and then obviously they're in the Bundesliga now, but they yeah. have not been uh, for the no. years in between. Yeah. Lately, you could even possibly make a make a an argument for Stuttgart. Um, yeah, 
you could, you could give them a little a little thing. Um, if if Hamburg were to get promoted, you could say maybe, um, maybe them. But but yeah, uh, this is a as far as I can tell, it's a phenomenon that happens pretty much everywhere. Yeah, yeah. I think there's always teams that are kind of not always consistently good enough to stay in that top flight, but consistently good enough to not stay in the second division either. So they bounce back and forth. I think another one that I had read was uh, VVV Venlo in the Netherlands is another one. I don't know the the number there. It's not quite as impressive as Nuremberg's. I think the other telling statistic I saw was that similar to Knott's County, it's always at the end, like, like a negative goal difference sort of thing. It it doesn't (laughs) tend to be like 10 promotions and seven relegations. It's usually the other way around. (laughs) <laughs> definitely isn't more Ven- relegations than promotions isn't venlo the team that chelsea loans all the players to yes or at least get gained the reputation for we loan all of our players to this team that yes i think so i think that's i want to say i want to say it was venlo I, I i i think that makes sense to me um i yeah. also found uh a couple of teams in italy um and i don't pay attention as much to seria ah um, so I, I don't want to like offend any fans of these teams, but, um, a couple of teams like Torino, uh, Benevento, uh, I, I think were I, I, in a, in a thing I saw listed as teams that could be considered yo-yo clubs. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, it's just kind of a natural mm-hmm. consequence of the way that the, the dominant promotion and relegation system stands. Yep. You're always going to have teams that, that do that. And sometimes those teams are, I think I think those teams fall into two categories a lot of the time, which are teams that have a bunch of money and aren't run well and teams that don't have a ton of money and are run very well. Yeah, that, uh, I think that's a fair that's a, that's a fair one of the other sort of approach. Yeah, the two the two types of yo-yo clubs, mm-hmm. um, because obviously the teams that have money and aren't run very well can a lot of the time just muscle their way out of uh, out of the lower leagues, mm-hmm. whereas the teams that are trying to be a little bit more resourceful um, will find success mm-hmm. in in their lower league, and then promptly, when they when they kind of get to the big boys, oh, many of those teams will kind of go right back down. Um, I mean, looking at at the the lower football leagues right now, uh, our beloved Wickham Wanderers, uh, home of Akinfenwa last year. Uh, I don't know if he's still there or not, actually. Uh, but but they they won a promotion a promotion playoff and uh, now are in dead last. Um, so uh, it's yeah. just kind of how it goes. <laughs> it is indeed. All right. Well, I've enjoyed that. What was the German word again? Farstuhlmannschaften. Uh, Farstuhlmannschaften. Which I believe is how you pronounce it. Uh, I'm yeah. sure that I will be corrected by this by one of my several Borussia Dortmund following fans that actually speak German. Um, so that's just how it happens. That's just how things go around here. All right. Well, until Adam is corrected by his Borussia Dortmund uh, friends, I will say, Adam, thank you very much for taking the time to answer today's listener questions. We've gone long, but I think we've done a good job of being thorough with all of them. So uh, thank you for that. Uh, long but entertaining is yeah, usually... What I what I aim for um, as a former English student myself, uh, <laughs> going too long, but at least you appreciate the time you spent here. Thank there you very go. much, Taylor. It's always a pleasure. Uh, it is always a pleasure for me and, of course, never a chore to steal a phrase from Ryan Bailey. Listeners, thank you all very much for listening. We will talk to you again very soon. <laughs>